0: Welcome to Religious Studies News. I'm your host, Christian Peterson, and today I'm here with Jay Loran Matori, professor of cultural anthropology at Duke University and winner of the AAR Book Award in Analytical Descriptive Studies. He's here to speak to us about his book, The Fetish Revisited, Marx, Freud, and the Gods Black People Make, published with Duke University Press. Congratulations and thanks for joining me.
1: Thank you very much, Christian, and thank you for having me on.
0: Now, uh, this really is a, an excellent and also a challenging book. Um, you've really gone into great detail in, in all these uh, various strains that you're pulling together. I'm wondering if you could begin uh, talking a little bit about how this project emerged from you. Why did you choose to focus on these figures and kind of think about this uh, dialectic that you do in the book? And what are some of the, the broader conceptual interventions you, you've sought to make with the book?
1: Very good. Thank you. Well, uh, first of all, uh, I grew up the child of a child psychologist, so the vocabulary of Freudianism or psychoanalysis was omnipresent in our home, as it was in the popular culture generally. Uh, terms like Freudian slip one could hear in a daily setting, even uh, among non-university uh, publics. And uh, and as I moved through uh, graduate school, particularly during the 1980s and uh, early 90s, uh, Marx was uh, a key figure in the critical interpretation of, uh, of life in the capitalist West. Uh, again, following the general disposition since the Enlightenment to uh, expand the circle of equality from uh, white males, to, uh, to uh, decolonized peoples, to black people, to women, to gay people, and so forth. So uh, uh, allegiance to Marx and the criticism, excuse me, I should have mentioned working class people, particularly working class white people were increasingly included in the circle of social equality, entitled to a vote, self-determination, recognition of individual rights and so forth. So, uh, so Marx was a, 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 Marx's name was a watchword in uh, the uh, elite academy's analysis of uh, the ways in which uh, Western capitalism and democracy still failed at the endeavor to include all in the promissory note of equality. Um, and uh, and no more than uh, most academics or most uh m- Black middle-class people who grew up in Washington D.C. and circulated on the on the coasts or in Chicago uh, had I devoted a great deal of time to uh, to thinking critically about these figures, uh, even if at some pre-conscious level terms like uh, wage slave and savage and negro slave which are casually thrown around in key documents written by marx and freud uh, did strike me as a bit odd and uh and only later struck me as worthy of focal reflection Um, i have uh, i I am the grandson of a pentecostal bishop in the church of god in christ so during my youth uh, there was an annual cycle between much of the year when my father would try to expose us to uh, a middle-class Baptist church at one point, and then the Washington Ethical Society, which was an extension of the New York Jewish Ethical Society, he wanted us to have some kind of religion, even though uh, my mother, frankly, having grown up in a setting where daily church attendance and and self-abnegation uh, such as you know the prohibition on watching movies on smoking and drinking having grown up that way she basically in adulthood found uh, alternative paths for her spirituality and that alternative path path was investing in her children's academic uh, enrichment and uh, and and scholarly success nonetheless each summer when we would visit my uh, grandfather's uh, uh, house of worship he was a bishop who, uh, uh, who founded and presided over a uh, 100 or so congregations in uh, in Virginia, where I would spend hours in a sweltering holiness church where I saw manifestations of the Holy Spirit, people laying on hands, speaking in tongues, uh, dancing in the Holy Spirit. I was exposed to those ecstatic experiences of worship. Now, the other dimension of my entry into this topic is that uh, is that uh, growing up in a predominantly black professional world in Washington DC, in upper Northwest Washington, DC, uh, I saw images of you know, black people who were normal, complex, uh, you know, diverse in class status, diverse in financial status, diverse in intellect, diverse in emotional expression and athletic ability and so forth. Um, I received a consistent message from television that black people were all one way. A largely a seething mass of either either foolishness or uh, intellectual deficiency or, or, or physical prowess. Um, such messages were reinforced when I began attending predominantly white schools in junior high school, where, you know, as soon as I walked across the threshold of the palatial grounds of my predominantly white high school, for example, white boys surrounded me and pelted me with the question, you're going to play football for us, aren't you going to play football for us? You're going to play basketball for us, aren't you going to play basketball for us? And when I got the best SAT score of anyone in my class at that same school, I was approached by one white boy who said to me, Randy, you did better on your SAT than I did, as though that were a surprise to him, even though for the prior two and a half years, I had always performed as well as, if not better than he. So my difference... As it was cognized by others caused me to think about how i could better cognize my difference and one of the ways i did so i don't know it started very very early from the age of five was a fascination with africa i had a book called the illustrated book of africa which in the usual racist fashion of western books about and conceptions of africa was half about human beings and half about animals and i was fascinated by them both so that book was my teddy bear so the long shot, the, the upshot of it is uh, of, of my interest in the Afro-Atlantic religions was I had uh, 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 been uh, born with an awareness of religious diversity and a fascination with it. I had been uh, nearly born with an awareness of Black diversity, and I was fascinated by it. And, uh, and a touchstone of my awareness of Black diversity was the cultures of Africa. And I wanted to understand how it had affected the cultures of the Americas uh, and the diversity of ways in which it had done so. And one of the best researched forms of that influence had been religion, that is to say, candomblé, which is uh, an Afro-Brazilian religion, uh, Santeria or Ocha, which is a Cuban religion, Haitian Vodou, which is a Haitian religion, and African-American Pentecostalism had long uh, been studied by Melville J. Herskovitz and his successors as, uh, as uh, instances of how African culture had influenced the culture of African Americans. And by extension, that became a route to my greater self-understanding. Therefore, for the past 40 years or so, I've actively studied these traditions, which I call the Afro-Atlantic religions. Um, the, uh, my interest in uh, Marx and Freud and my interest in the Afro-Atlantic religions uh, converged when uh, it dawned on me that, uh, that uh, one of Marx's and Freud's chief uh, analytical metaphors is fetish. That is the notion that uh, uh, on the part of the accuser, that the people who value a particular physical object or practice are disoriented. That they have accorded uh, inappropriate value and inaccurately assigned agency to physical objects. By contrast, to the, reason, the ostensibly reasonable way in which the accuser values objects or distributes or attributes agency to the world. Um, it dawned on me that this concept was deeply rooted in a history of European imperialism. Uh, actually, following the argument of William Peets, uh, 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 I learned and began thinking about the fact that this term, which literally means factitious, at its Latin root, originally referred to the uh, physical objects and practices of female healers in Portugal who were subjected to trial by the inquisitors. Uh, soon thereafter, it was attributed to, uh, uh, it, was, it was used as a means of uh, critiquing and parodying uh, African uh, monarchs and trade partners uh, by European merchants on the West African coast. Uh, this this discourse uh, critiquing and parodying African sacred objects and the alleged foolishness uh, with which Africans construct their religiosity and social order around objects was by enlightenment philosoph uh, used to criticize European royalty, the aristocracy and the Roman Catholic clergy. That is to say, uh, those uh, people uh, being described and critiqued by the European social critic uh, or expositor of the Enlightenment, those uh, Roman Catholic clerics, those, uh, those aristocrats, and those royals who inappropriately uh, worked with the cross or the host or who inappropriately imposed tariffs on the trade goods of the European bourgeoisie were as foolish as Africans in effect uh, for doing so because the real value of objects and the real order of human society should be x y or z as stipulated by the social critic and those social critics among other things emphasized the virtue of individuality or the naturalness of individuality freedom and personal authority excuse me personal uh, self-determination on the part of the class for whom they spoke that class being uh, bourgeois European uh, males, as opposed to uh, uh, the royalty, ar- the aristocracy, and, uh, and, uh, and the Roman Catholic Church hierarchy. Um, so that is to say, fetish is a, a, a trope. It is a non-literal way of speaking, uh, if you will, that compares one area of life to another that compares African sacred, that compares uh, uh, European social and political and economic practices that the critic disapproves of to what he assumes uh, his entire European audience will agree is the foolishness of African religious practice. So here comes the perhaps more interesting and concrete story. Um, I had prepared a book manuscript that uh, based upon my extensive knowledge of how African and African diaspora priests actually do attribute value and agency to objects, in contrast to the way that I saw that Marx and Freud were themselves attributing value and agency to particular objects in a culture-specific way, in a class-specific way, and a highly motivated way, given the arguments they were trying to make about who owes what to whom and who is deserving of esteem in a European world in which they were challenged by anti-Semitism. So that's what my talk was intended to be about at Ohio State, but uh, uh, as, as is my normal practice, I really like to explore the university towns where I've been invited to speak. So the afternoon before the talk, my wife and I took a walk up North High Street, uh, through this uh, university town of Columbus, Ohio. And you know, we saw the usual Doc Martens uh, shoe shop. We saw uh, you know, all the usual shops of the, of the university town until we were nearing the predominantly black area that we had been warned about. We'd been warned it was sketchy by the student at the front desk uh, who was advising us on where we could take a walk, and uh, and then as we approached the nearly the the, the predominantly black part of the street, um, we encountered this shop with a big billboard in front of it that that described the shop as the Chamber, Ohio's largest fetish store, and it dawned on me, oh my goodness, I overlooked this whole area of usage of the concept of the fetish in daily life in north america as i analyzed the use of this term in constructing uh, ostensibly normal social and economic political and psychological life in europe and uh and it dawned on me that the ultimate referent of that metaphor too was uh was africanness and the exemplary uh difference of africanness um that's akin to the metaphors in white American life of walking on the wild side that's associated with miming Blackness uh, uh, or miming uh, uh, the forms of Blackness that had been constructed as justifying our exclusion from society. Sexual abnormalcy, uh, uh, sartorial abnormalcy, uh, 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 abnormalcy of, of speech, of music, and so forth that uh, that can actually be quite liberating for white people when they, uh, they enter that world and mime its forms. So in any case, that was the inspiration behind uh, this book, uh, The Fetish Revisited, and its sequel, which will more centrally be about uh, the uh, uh, likeness of white American BDSM, that is bondage, discipline, dominance, submission, and sadomasochism, Uh, uh, as well as other forms of kink, such as cuckolding, to uh, religious uh, expressions, to religions intent on spiritual transcendence, self-discovery, the building of hierarchical social solidarity, and indeed trance. Um, I saw from my subsequent encounters with practitioners of these traditions that the possibility of thinking of BDSM as a religion and understanding religions more clearly uh, uh, by asking the question of how they are similar to BDSM. And of course, the richest body of my experiences with Afro Atlantic religions, in which hierarchical social solidarity is a priority and, uh, and trance, that is, the transcendence of individuality, is a goal. That's also true of BDSM. Uh, and both of these cases present an interesting counterpoint uh, to the Enlightenment priority on uh, individualism, freedom, self-determination, and equality. And it seems to me that uh, that uh, uh, this joint discovery uh, that uh, some of the people most advantaged by the discourse of individualism and freedom, that is, elite white American males and some of the people most excluded from it and with most to gain from the discourse of social equality, personal autonomy, and self-determination often uh, uh, feel happiest in religious institutions and in sexual practices in which they are subordinated, in which they are serving, in which they have handed over uh decision making and responsibility to a a party they construct as a great master who has the power to hurt them but does not and who instead protects them so in any case that's where i'm going after this book now we can talk more central so
0: People are going to need to, to, to get that as well when it comes out. Now, listeners will, will already gather from um, your very broad and, and detailed introduction already that there's a lot to this book. It probably could have been at least two books, um, if not more. I, I think one of the things that, in addition to this critique about European social theory being shaped by the, the historical and material circumstances it emerged in, and you do in the book is help us rethink. Um, Afro-Atlantic religious practice, uh, especially practices centered around the, these human-made gods and how that can help us think about uh, methods of critical analysis. This, this might be the, the part of the book that um, many listeners will be most unfamiliar with. So I was hoping you could talk a little bit about these alternative interpretations of the role of agency uh, attributed to human-made gods um, and then how can thinking about Afro-Atlantic religious traditions um, help us think about the study of religion and social life uh, more generally, maybe?
1: Very good. Now, first, let me offer a slight revision. Um, my book is intended so much as a, a critique of social agency as a recontext of social uh, theory, as much as it is intended to be a rethinking of it. That is to say, normally uh, European social theory and theorists are represented as though they were thought generated out of the pure air of uh, of empirical neutrality and brilliance, and therefore they can be carried to other parts of the world and imposed on those other people's relatively concrete ways of thinking and socially grounded, uh, human-generated ways of thinking. and. I think of the matter quite differently because, you know, having come out of a predominantly white, a predominantly black world and entering the a predominantly white world with great intimacy. I mean, I have, I made very, very dear friends in predominantly white secondary schools and and, and post-secondary education. I saw that there was much that was culturally specific about their way of acting. For example, the, the, the role of alcohol and social interactions. Um, The the rates of suicide, the hiddenness of so many phenomena that happen to all human beings like domestic abuse and alcoholism and so forth. There was nothing uh, sort of supracultural or extracultural about the way that white men think. They are subject to the same social forces uh, and ironically some of the same fears of undue subordination as everybody else despite on average, uh, 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 the general availability of uh, much greater privilege and power to white males. The same insecurities are flowing through them. So my suggestion for the use of European social theory is that its implications are enriched by thinking carefully about the social and cultural conditions out of which it arose, Um, and that The abstractness attributed to it in many ways rests on the backs, especially of Black people and of other colonized populations. It presupposes that uh, we are the object of knowledge rather than subjects of knowledge, and that the European is nothing but a subject of knowledge and a value-neutral subject of knowledge. I think Europeans have a lot to contribute to our understanding of all populations, but the Afro-Atlantic religions also have a lot to contribute to the understanding of European society. So the book is a dialogue among these three uh, actors, the Afro-Atlantic priests, uh, Freud and his followers, and Marx and his followers, more than it's a critique of any of them. And I take them all to be human actors uh, driven by a complex set of
0: motives
1: (laughs) so as for uh, the lessons of the afro-atlantic religions regarding our understanding of agency and value uh, first a brief introduction to what these religions have in common beyond the historical links to the slave trade to the uh, commerce with europeans on the coast the back and forth movement of African merchants, between Africa and Latin America, all of which I deal with in prior books. Um, these are religions of, uh, of dance, of music, of, uh, of delicious food, of building community, especially through uh, coordinated bodily movement that, uh, that with the orchestration of the drums and of senior priests results uh, regularly in a trance or spirit possession in which uh uh, uh beings called Urisha or loa or voduns uh, take over the body of the medium who's often called a horse or a wife of the god and speak through that body and the uh, medium regularly reports amnesia after the event and the uh, messages of the god are constructed communally uh, based upon the reports of all of those surrounding the person who interpret the words of of the God using the mouth and the gestures of the medium. Um, And these uh, uh, these possession priests are, in my view, uh, models of normative humanity. They are virtuosi, but they model the general principle that a human body is not the vessel of one spirit or one being alone contrary to the 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 enlightenment principle that each of us as an individual or each normal person is an individual and you know the social security principle that each of us is the same person through life just as just just as much the same as our social security number is from the moment of our birth to the moment well beyond our death that's an assumption quite foreign to the traditions that i study and practice the premise of these religions, on the contrary, is that each person is the vessel of multiple spirits and is a crossroads of multiple spirits. That uh, the decisions we make bear an imprint of the spirit of our ancestors, of our foremothers and our forefathers. They also uh, bear the imprint of forces known as loas or Voduns or Urisha who are networks of uh, who are networks uniting quite a heterogeneous set of things? Uh, for example, the god Shango in West African Yoruba tradition uh, is embodied in the thunder and lightning, in royalty, in the leopard, in the mortar, in thunderstones that are understood to be the substance of lightning, um, in the batadrum. So each of these, and, and every priest who has ever been initiated in the service of Shango, becomes part of this network that is a single being. Every object on the altar, or rather the assemblage of certain iconic objects on the altar, makes the god. So there is a spirit that unites multiple categories of objects, but any given manifestation of it in a possession priest or on an altar is given a certain individual personality it's understood to be distinctive in some way and that's the personality that occupies the priests of the genealogy that worships around that altar or the followers of a particular orisha priest Um, any given medium might be possessed by multiple gods of this sort or multiple gods might hover near that person, even though that person has a special tutelary relationship with one of those gods. So again, the upshot is contrary to the notion of individualism and internal in, uh, integrity and internal homogeneity with which I grew up, You know, that is as a middle-class US American, I try to be as consistent as possible in my behavior, not to say contradictory things, always to preserve my credit rating because it's understood that all of my history will follow me and be attributed to me. By contrast, uh, Afro-Atlantic priests are aware of the heterogeneity of forces, the conflict of forces, the struggle among forces that constantly constitutes any given person. And uh, the aim of their conduct of religious life and personal life is not to render for each person to render himself totally consistent, but to be aware of the heterogeneous forces converging on his or her body, and to balance them properly. Now, that's like the granddaddy of all formulations compared to Freud's uh, rather simple model that each human being is made up of three entities, the id, the superego, and the ego. Um, It's the granddaddy of models that You might call ambivalence in the terms of freud but in the terms of afro-atlantic priests and practices the vocabulary is not negative or critical it's about balance achieving balance with an understanding that each person is the crux of forces converging from a broad universe and a broad society quite the opposite again of this ideal of personal autonomy, freedom, and self-determination that has reached the most absurd extremes in the United States when people insist on carrying their guns to a state legislature to force them to open up because their individual rights are more important than the cumulative consequences of people interacting enormously and potentially harming others' health and their own.
0: There's really a great deal to the book that I think listeners are going to have to get a copy and take a look. So I'm wondering if there's anything perhaps that you weren't able to, to uh, get to in our conversation. Any final thoughts you'd like uh, listeners to take away?
1: Yes, I think the the major lesson of this book is that European social theory should not be regarded as a self-existent truth generated in a time and space without politics, without social backdrop, without the argument of the trial as uh, Bourdieu uh, described it. That is, usually European social theories and scholarly assertions are made against the backdrop of somebody else who was saying something to the contrary, often something with implications for the self-esteem of the theorist or of the fact maker. Um, Afro Atlantic religions, it's no surprise to anyone, are, well, let's see, actually, many people have historically thought of African religions as something generated at the beginning of time and unchanged because Africans are essentially without history. And insofar as they recognize history as influencing these religions, uh, uh, the limit of reflection typically has been to recognize how. Uh, forcible westernization, the forcible westernization of the enslaved and the colonized has uh, uh, given rise to something called syncretism, that is the adaptation of African spiritual logics to Western material forms. Um, My emphasis is on the historical genesis of the Afro-Atlantic religions, and the most influential forms of those religions having been generated and deeply shaped by the Afro-European encounter on the West African coast, which was the source, among other things, of an efflorescence of symbolism using multicolored beads, which were largely of Venetian or Bohemian origin, inspired by Syrian technology, uh, by horses, which were imported heavily from uh, the Muslim lands of the north and from Christian rulers, which enabled certain uh, em- certain West African empires to prevail over others, and the hypertrophy of the uh, representation of the, the monarchs, uh, captives, and other delegates as wives, who uh, through the spirit possession religion and allied ritual practices uh, commanded the uh, Oyo king's trade, Uh, with the Europeans on the coast. So uh, the the interstitial positionality of the merchant monarchs uh, between African and European culture, I think, shaped much that has been mistaken for the primordial roots of the African diaspora religions. Likewise, it seems to me that the interstitial position of, uh, of uh, assimilated uh, European Jewish men like, uh, like Karl Marx and uh, Sigmund Freud were, were uh, significant influences on, uh, on their social formulations, on the arguments that they posed in the logic of the trial in pursuit of the dignity of people like them. Uh, Their theories, though often applied as though they had not arisen out of a social context, need to be understood within their social context. And the dialogue between European uh, social theory and the practices and thoughts of the populations outside of Europe that those theories are used to analyze needs to be understood necessarily in more equal terms. Um, the priests of the Afro-Atlantic religions have enormous insights, uh, not only into the psychology of uh, people like Marx and Freud, but also into the psychology of Westerners who imagine themselves autonomous individuals and self-determined individuals. And again, I'm not just making up what they say about Westerners in contrast to their own self-understandings. The priests I work with like the, the the. the priests in the days of yore, uh, when they were operating on behalf of the Oyo Emperor in West Africa in the context of the Afro-European trade, are highly aware of European society and are highly aware of, uh, of its uh, of pretenses that they're li- less likely to judge simply as false, but to recognize as specifically European. And among the multiple influences that these African and Afro-Atlantic priests embrace, The contrary position, uh, deeply embedded in the Abrahamic religions, but highly characteristic of post-Enlightenment modernity, is to look at the life ways and thoughts of priests of Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, Islam, and the Afro-Atlantic religions as antitypes of modern rationality and as phenomena to be excoriated from the the ideal or normative person's self-development. Um, this book is, presents a dramatic irony that we grow the best when we recognize, uh, as Afro-Atlantic priests do, the presence of the other within us, and we balance that presence rather than trying to excoriate it uh, in the effort to become self-determined, autonomous, free individuals.
0: Well, I, I think you uh, certainly accomplished your, your task in communicating that in this uh, wonderful book, which... Uh certainly deserves this uh, award. So congratulations again. And thanks for making time to to talk. It has been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much, Christian.